Welcome to PromoCast Canada, the one and only show produced especially for Canada's promotional products community. Brought to you by the Promotional Products Professionals of Canada and the President and CEO of PPPC, Jonathan Strauss. Let's talk shop. Hello and welcome to PromoCast Canada. My name is Jonathan Strauss and I'm the President and CEO of Promotional Products Professionals of Canada and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast today. Joining me for our podcast is Sandra Harsar, the new chair of the board of our association. Welcome, Sandra. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, Thank you for having me come to join the podcast today. Well, I'm glad to have you and congratulations on your election as chair of the board. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm very pleased to be a part of the board this year. It's uh, a wonderful association. Well, let's, let's start by learning a little bit about you, uh, introduce our members and others in the industry to you. So tell us, how did you start in the industry? Like most people in our industry, I definitely didn't go to school to go into this industry. Um, I started actually with an advertising degree at uh, Ryerson College and did advertising and sales promotion for a men's retailer um, called Harry Rosen here for six years. And after six years, I was a little bit... Uh, a little burnt out from that and wanted to try something different. And uh, some people suggested that I join my husband, Rob, who was in this business with a, with a partner. And they had a mid-sized business at the time called K Promotions. And I joined them uh, back in 1989. So I, I was doing the math, but it's quite a bit while ago. So um, I've been in this business a long time. Well, and tell us, so what is you, you, I know you work with Rob today. So tell us, what does your business look like today? Our business is very different today. Now this, uh, now we sort of run as a boutique uh, company. Uh, back then we were mid-size at, uh, I guess at the heyday of the company, we had 15, 16 sales reps there. Um, now it's just Rob and I, uh, we do a very boutique, uh, different, I, uh, different, different projects for companies as opposed to going with getting the big programs. Uh, we don't try to get those because we not set up to do things like that. So we go off after sort of the different business where the companies will want something that's a little bit different than what they're getting when they do their program business. How, how have things changed for your business during the pandemic? Boy, did they change. Uh, it was March 15th happened a year and a half ago. And all these wonderful projects that we're working on, the phone kept ringing, canceled, canceled, canceled. So for March, April, May, we we had no business. It was just uh, everything that we were working on got canceled. Um, The world was resettling into whatever was happening with it. And our business totally declined. Uh, we then, uh, thanks to the government, we did take advantage of some of the government opportunities that they had. And slowly things started to rebuild. Um, as soon as the dust settled a little bit, some of our clients, most of their employees were now working at home and they started to want to send things to their to their employees. So all these projects at the time where we used to do um, a number of items and ship it to the head office. We're now doing a project and shipping it to everybody's homes. So we sort of became more of a fulfillment company than um, we ever were in the past. And as a small business, how have you and Rob handled that transition? 
uh, it was a learning curve. You had to sort of find the right uh, ways of getting it to the people because now that you're doing um, sending it to all these different destinations, the shipping charges can really add up. So you needed to find the best way to send it to instead, you know, to a hundred employees as opposed to one shipping cost of maybe sixty dollars. Now you add a hundred shipping costs of at least twenty dollars, and so you needed to try to find the best shipping method so that your clients would not be floored by the amount of money that the shipping was. And uh, that was a learning curve in itself. And even just the packaging of trying, you know, learning to do labels and things like that, which was not really part of our business. We became more more shipping oriented than, than, uh, than uh, actually creative with our promotions. Are there any big takeaways from things you've learned that, that you think might help others who are still working through the, the most efficient and effective ways to do this? What I have learned now is you can't promise timing anymore. So one thing we don't do anymore is guarantee deliveries. If you guarantee a delivery, you could very easily disappoint your clients. Couriers are totally unreliable. Um, unless you're planning to go and deliver everything yourself, it's just not going to be definitely delivered when you expect it to be. I, I have some parcels coming in that were supposed to be delivered today, and one is in Japan, the other one is in Alaska, and the other one, who knows where it is. So you really have to be careful on how you position things to your clients. And I think another learning lesson for me is just related to that is be more open with your clients because they too will have their own challenges in some ways. So I find that if you're very open to your clients, that they will understand um, what you're dealing with. And that way you don't disappoint in the end. And I think one of the things I keep hearing over and over again, and it's not a new lesson, but just the importance of open and honest communication, which is part of what you were just speaking to. Exactly. I think that's so important right now, just because, you know, I, I, in the past, I've been doing this a long time, and I used to take so many things to heart as far as deliveries and promise and commitments. And it's just gotten to the point now that you just can't do that anymore. It, it'll, only, it'll only hurt yourself and then ruin a relationship with a client. And how have you found your relationships with suppliers and you know during the pandemic and, and I guess as we continue with supply chain challenges? How have, you, how have you found working with your supplier partners during, uh, during all of this? I find that, um, again, it's all about the communication. Uh, a lot of the suppliers now, they will give you inventories when you're looking. When I'm searching for, uh, for some items or some ideas, I right away check the inventory because if something is not there, there's no way that I want to present it. So every time I do any quotes, as I'm doing the quotes, I check inventories. Um, I do understand the the hardships that they are going through, and I, you can't put a lot of pressure on them. So I think it's also communication and understanding that they things are beyond their control. So I, when I make a sale now, I sometimes I make them the the client pick a choice one, two, and three, so that they will be able to at least understand at the beginning that their first choice may not be available, and then a second or third. Um, a lot of times now with clients too that you know some clients offer the same items, so you may have to go to different clients, uh, different suppliers for the same item, and and unfortunately that means another setup, but that's just the way it is, and you can't try and charge your client for that second setup. So it's just a matter of trying to get things done, but it's hard to really judge 
until you're actually placing the order. So it's very easy to do a quote and everything, you check everything and everything is perfect. Um, there's, oh, there's a thousand pieces in stock. And then the client sits on that for a few weeks, even a week, sometimes even three, four days can make a huge difference in inventory. So you, you really can't react on anything until you get the actual order. And then that's when you sort of go back into the world and see what still exists. How are you finding your customers are responding to these challenges when you explain them to them? Are they understanding um, any messaging that you're finding is working well when you communicate these challenges and the need to make decisions and that sort of thing with your customers? Some do and some don't, but I think a lot of them don't because they're not facing the actual supply chain. You know, I don't deal with people in purchasing. I'm sure people that work in purchasing would be very, very aware of the supply chain challenges. But when you're dealing with people in marketing, I don't believe a lot of them will really understand supply chain challenges. So you try to sort of set the table. I find if you are too forceful in it, that they will, you might turn them off. So there's a fine line between being honest and being too honest because you don't want them to think, oh, this person, I'll just go somewhere else because this this person's obviously not being going to be able to come through for me. So there, there's a there's a fine line. There is a really fine line on this. And Sandra, are you finding that you're using the telephone more as opposed to email when you're trying to work through these challenges? Uh, not really. I still find I'm doing a lot of email. Um, but when I am, I will go to the telephone only when I really feel that it's hard to communicate something by email. So I'll pick up the phone and talk to them. I did have a few uh, situations just this week where I actually picked up the tel- the telephone um, and, and contacted a client because I just felt it's going to be too it's going to go back and forth on emails and maybe they won't, they aren't fully because emails, sometimes you don't fully understand what the context of something is. If, unless you're really, you know, you can type it thinking one thing and someone's reading it the other way. So a few times, I guess you're right, Jonathan, I have picked up the telephone a few times more than I used to. And I have that conversation sometimes here with our staff when we're having trouble reaching somebody or something's a little bit more complex. And uh, like you said, sometimes picking up the phone can save bouncing back 100 emails, or I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but save a few emails sometimes by, by picking up the phone. Exactly. Exactly. So as you, I know you talk to suppliers often uh, as part of what you do. Uh, what, are you, what do you think is going to happen with these supply chain challenges? How long do you think this is going to go on? What do you sort of see in the next number of months that way? I think it's going to continue into the beginning of next year. There's there's just too many issues with containers coming out of the Orient and, and other locations that they're coming from. I, I, I foresee it to continue probably into the first quarter of next year. I'm hoping by, you know, fourth quarter of next year, uh, the suppliers will be able to have things, you know, pre, you know, pre-order a year in advance for the follow for the following year, but it's hard to say um, because that you know that they go through their own challenges of, of of guessing what people are going to buy, and they're not going to want to have a warehouse full of merchandise that they thought people would want, and then they don't. So I don't see it ending, you know, for sure not in the first quarter of next year. I, I hope by fourth quarter things will start to calm down a little bit, but I think it's going to take probably the supply chain will take a few years. I truly believe that. And so, Sandra, has that changed who some of your suppliers are? 
Have you had to start, you know, have you met and started working with some new suppliers as a result of these challenges? Not really. A lot of the stuff, though, that I do, especially this time of year, is food items. And and we deal with different um, people that make the food here. So there is no problem that with that type of supply because it is being made here unless all of a sudden there's going to be a butter shortage or a flour shortage in this world or a chocolate shortage. So far, I haven't heard of any of those, just price increases. So when you're dealing with somebody who's actually making that type of product for you, at least you have more control over the production. Um, but in, in answer to that question, they may not have the packaging that you need. I'm finding that some of these uh, suppliers that we're dealing with, they're having problems getting the boxes. So now I'm going to have to source the boxes for projects that they're going to produce. And I need to find boxes that my normal suppliers that I would go to something like that for doesn't have. So I need to go to uh, look around and find other suppliers. I was just looking into one in Buffalo that um, that may have some boxes for some chocolates. So um, in that respect, yes. But as far as, you know, everyday clothing, I don't, I, I don't believe that I, I've changed any suppliers in my clothing. Um, I just try to change the items that they're, they're going to that, that the suppliers have good stock at the time. So I try to work with what they have. Good. And it, and it sounds like uh, you're, you're using your abilities to research, which is a big part of this industry to just continue to problem solve. Yes. Yes. There's more problem solving. If I had known that I never before at this time of the year, have I been trying to find boxes to put chocolates into like it's, it's not usually the, the chocolate maker finds the boxes and provides it in a box. And I have to start looking for boxes because they can't find the boxes that we need. So it's, it's a little different. Yeah. Well, it's, it also speaks to, though, the, the importance of the partnerships that are so important to the different levels of the supply chain, you know, the suppliers and the multi-line reps and, and the distributors, you know, working together also to solve a lot of these problems. Exactly. Exactly. And I've also found that some of the supplier, suppliers will even do some kitting and packaging for you if you use their products. So that's, that's, a, that's a bonus as well. Well, I think, you know, one of the big things that we've all learned is more important over the last uh period of time has just been how important it is to have that open communication to work together. Uh, and I also think in your answer about, you know, different suppliers speaks to this as well, that the value of loyalty and, and how important that is as well. Exactly. So as you, as you look beyond the supply chain challenges, which we know are going to be here for a while, um, what, what's next for the industry for you? What do you think uh, is coming or changing as you look uh, to the future of the promotional products industry here in Canada? Well, I'm really hoping that we get back to that the people get back to their offices to work because I feel that that is a very important key in um, in in our our business to start moving forward more. Uh, we need to have the the clients going back to the office. It's even for prospecting new. If you're looking for new business, it's very difficult right now to get any new business because nobody's working in their office. People are working from their homes and using their cell phones. So it's, it's very, very difficult if you're prospecting or you're trying to cold call for new business. Um, so I think the key is for the clients to get back to, to the office. And then from there back to the trade shows where a lot of our merchandise is used. So I'm really hoping that next year, you know, a lot of the shows are starting to look. I, I saw that the gift show is going to be back um, next uh, January as well. So I'm hoping that that's going to be 
um, an indicator that trade shows will begin again and that that will start making our business go back to its to its uh, level of profitability. But I do find, I think a change that's going to happen in our industry is I really believe that some of the smaller items uh, people will stop doing. I think people want will start to give more items that people will keep in the long run. So I think a lot of the little trinkets and trash is, as we refer to a lot of the time, um, in our industry is what we sell. I think that's going to change. I think it's going to be items that have more sustainability and um, more value so that people will, will keep it and use it longer. Which is, which is good for the environment too. And, and I think we've seen a lot of change in that. Are you finding your clients are asking more about sustainability or environmental kinds of questions as you talk to them about ideas? Yeah, actually, no, I haven't really had anybody asking me for that. I know a lot of people have had their clients asking for that, but right now I haven't. I haven't had anybody come to me and say they're looking for a clothing item that's made out of, um, you know, fabrics that um, don't, the dyes don't affect the environment and stuff. So I haven't had anything like that yet, but I'm sure that I, I, I have a feeling it's going to be coming with the younger generation as they're moving up. I think that's more of the, the, the generation that's moving into the work workforce now will be more involved in that, which who will become our buyers. And those people I believe will probably be looking more into the sustainability. And Sandra, you spoke about the challenges of prospecting business development uh, that that the industry has faced with so many of the customers working from home. What what has worked for you uh, in terms of business development and prospecting? Well, fortunately for me, a lot of my clients are clients that I've actually had for the past thirty years that I've been in this business. Um, you know, sometimes they retire and I get lucky enough to be put on to the person who's taken over their position. But a lot of my business, fortunately, is is continuous um, support by my existing clients and then referrals from that. Um, Rob, on the other hand, um, my business partner and life partner, that's sort of his position. He does a lot of that cold calling and um, new business direction for people that uh to get new business that way. So I, I sort of um, don't do a lot of that cold calling. It's not something that I really, I don't like rejection. <laughs> so I found it, I find it very difficult to do. Well, it's great that you and Rob as, as partners in, in business and in life have figured out what your strengths are and that you're able to play to them. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, good. So um when you're talking to clients now, it's almost getting late in the season. We're recording this in early October. But um, what are the most popular items you're seeing as gifts for uh, for the Q4 holiday gift season? A lot of the items that I'm doing right now are all gourmet food products. Um, I have, I'm doing a little bit of clothing. I find that name brand items are very popular right now, such as Corksicle and anything that has a name brand. People are looking for that. Um, but most of the items I'm doing right now are, are, are food gifts. That's, that's the busiest. That, this is the time of year where I, really my focus is on that. And we've seen suppliers adding more food products. Uh, at least I've been noticing that, uh, you know, as I watch my inbox, I get a lot of the same emails that distributors do from suppliers promoting new products. Yes. Um, is there something in, in the gourmet food area, is there something that's getting you excited or getting your clients excited? 
uh, this year, maybe something new or different? Uh, not really, not really. Like I, well, through the suppliers that you're mentioning, they have some wonderful kits uh, that they sell. But uh, the, a lot of the stuff that we do is all custom made. So we tend to work with, you know, some of our artisans that we deal with have come out with new products and we've been promoting a few of those new products. Um, but um, we tend to stick with the same artisans because we find that people, when they get these gifts or their clients get these gifts, they're blown away. And then the next year they're looking forward to getting that piece of, you know, chocolate toffee again because they, they enjoyed it so much the year before. So we don't have to really switch it up too, too much just here and there, maybe the flavors because the products are so good that uh, it's a treat for these people because it's not items that they could just walk into your metro store and, and pick them up. So it's something that's always a treat and people look forward to it. And do you encourage your clients to package things like drinkware or blankets, other kinds of things in with some of those food gifts? I do. I always encourage them to put one item, at least one item that the people can keep going forward. So whether it be the vessel, I'm doing some, um, you know, some buckets now for champagne buckets. So whether it be the champagne bucket, so whether it be the vessel, I should say, or whether there is something inside that the people can keep like a, a mug or even coasters. Um, it depends on the theme of the basket. Sometimes we put in cutting boards, some cheese knives. It really depends on what their theme of the basket is, but we do feel that it is always good to have something in there. And I think that's what kept separates us from the client going into, into again, and even into Costco and purchasing, you know, a basket of something there that's all a generic brand. We try to sell something that will have their name and, and give them something for the clients, their clients to keep with their name on going forward. Well, thanks for sharing those ideas, Sandra. It's always, I always enjoy hearing from members, some of the things they're doing and where they're adding value. And um, I, I think we have to remind ourselves all the time that uh, our association name has the word professionals in it. And it's uh, that added value, that professional expertise you're bringing that I'm sure is what your clients appreciate. Exactly. We hope. We hope. We, we just had a presentation the other day. Actually, we, we started to actually see people in person a little bit now, which is interesting going into. But, you know, it's hard for them. We bring them tasters and we leave them behind because we're all sitting there with masks. So it's very hard to eat samples through masks. So we leave them behind. But it's nice to be able to go into customers um, offices again, at least to see people face to face. But we did have one woman that uh, we showed something to and she came back to us asking us a question about something that was so generic. Uh, so not everybody understands, when, especially when it's a new buyer. But then she was just getting the information for somebody else. But she sort of brought to we brought her this product that you can you, you really can't buy. And you're you know, only like in Pusateries and McEwen's, which are very high end stores here. And she came back to us with a suggestion that really you can just go to bulk barn and package it into a plastic bag. So some people don't really understand what you're selling. It's always challenging. There's always that education of the clients that's required. And exactly. And I know that suppliers and multi-lines feel that way too, right? Like it's got to start with education and exactly. uh, passing that information along. So Exactly. It's, it's, but you don't, want, you don't want to be insulting. You right. don't want to tell the people that, you know, th this is so, you know, generic and what we're showing you is so high end, you know, just, you, you just have to try to educate them and, and without making them feel like they, they don't know what they're doing too. Right. Uh, like everything in life, a bit of a balancing act, I guess. Yes. <laughs>
Sandra, you've referred to in-person events in a few different ways. Um, you, you've grown up in, uh, in the association. You've been involved throughout your career in lots of ways uh, with, uh, with the association. Can you share with us um, some of your involvement first, I think, with the Ontario chapter and then, of course, now with the National Board? For sure. No, I started the in the Ontario chapter, I, I want to say maybe around 10, 11 years ago. I'm sorry I didn't do the math on that one. Um, and, um, just because I wanted to, this was even before I started it with my own company of bright ideas. Um, I was still working at K promotions and wanted to get more involved in the industry beyond just, um, just going to trade shows. So I got involved in the Ontario chapter. Um, the commitment was once a month. Um, we did some social events, I met uh, and through that I I've met a lot of the people to this day that I have become very close with um, just by by volunteering with them and I just really enjoyed doing that went through the ranks of that organized events on my own the the golf tournament that we did for years um, organized that a few times then moved on up to to the uh, president of that chapter and then from there I joined the national board i guess it was four years ago now that i board joined the board because i felt that i wanted to get more involved and and learn more about how the association runs on a national level and i truly enjoy the 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 volunteering experience i i find that it gives especially for somebody that's in a a, a small company and our industry is made up of a lot of small companies so the position that I'm in is probably the position of, I would say, about 70% of our members. So learning from that um, and trying to understand how the rest of the association works um, has given me great insight into how to hopefully uh, make things better for us, quote unquote, smaller guys in the industry, because there's a lot of us. Well, thanks for sharing that. For people who are, are new to the industry or new to the association, where would you suggest to them to start their involvement with, with us as PPPC? I would say to support your local chapter, but in areas where there's not a local chapter, contact the head office, contact the PPPC head office and, and tell them that you would like to get involved on some level and we will find something for you to be uh, to join, whether it be there's a lot of committees that we have throughout the year that you could join a committee. Um, the commitment is... Uh, it's not a tremendous amount. It is some time. It's going to take some time. It's not like you join a committee and or want to. If you want to volunteer your time, you need to give some time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. And um, there's always a place for anybody who would want to uh, get involved more in the association. So whether it's a little bit of time on one small committee or whether it's something to actually eventually join the the uh, the board themselves. And Sandra, now that you've moved into the chair position uh, and are will be and are now leading the national board, what are some of your goals for your time as as chair of the board of, of PBPC? I think my biggest goal is to try to rebuild the camaraderie and and um, help everyone to. I, I'd like everyone to go back in time to before all these stressful days. And I think I think a lot of these last year and a half has been so stressful for so many people. And I think that along the way, we some of us may have lost 
focus of what the association is about. And to me, the association is keeping everybody together and trying to help each other. And my goal is to try to work with, you know, to keep everybody working together and just rebuild the, as I, as I said previously, it was to work with the members to strengthen it through its participants, because we have a lot of wonderful people in this industry. And um, I do believe that together we can all get the industry back on its feet. Well, Sandra, thank you uh, for sharing that. And I hope, uh, hope a few people will follow uh, that advice and suggestions with our new diversity, equity, and inclusion committee uh, as a good example of places where we've been getting more people involved. And uh, we do hope that 2022 is the year that our chapters get uh, activated again and, and uh, be able to have in-person events. We've, we've certainly missed those uh, over the last while. Exactly, yes. Well, Sandra, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. I think it's important that our members get a chance to know you, those who already don't. I know many do from the Ontario chapter, from your participation in WE over many years, but I think it's a great opportunity. So thank you for sharing your insights and ideas and just introducing yourself uh, to the membership. Thank you. And I do want to mention to everybody that does listen to this uh, podcast that my door is always open. If anybody wants to talk to me about a volunteering position or something that they could suggest for our association that perhaps could to, uh, to make it better, I'm very open to suggestions and conversations. So please contact me if you ever feel that you have something to add or that you'd like to join in and help. Well, Sandra, thanks for that. And I, I should really add the same thing that I, I always enjoy hearing from members and appreciate when people reach out, uh, whether they're uh, with uh, suggestions for new things or uh, requests for information. So, yes, please reach out to Sandra or myself, uh, other members. Exactly. Or both of us. <laughs> there you go. Yes. And so I, I certainly uh, look forward to continuing to work with Sandra in, in her new position. And so, Sandra, thanks again for joining us today. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And like you said, I, I look forward to being in person with you and many other people again soon. So thanks so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Promocast Canada. And uh, look for a new podcast every second week from PPPC. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Promocast Canada. Stay tuned for future episodes featuring more of Canada's promo leaders. 